We had to let Eric Young go because I didn't want to torture him by talking about baseball. That's why I kept my buddy, Michael Florio, around. We're going to do a little MLB trade deadline special here in the second hour. Kind of relate that back into some uh, MLB betting futures and, you know, try and figure out who you could get value on right now before they make moves at the MLB trade deadline. I do want to reset, though, for people who weren't listening to the first hour Just talk about the Tyreek Hill news once again before we get into some of the MLB trade deadline stuff. Look, Tyreek Hill, if you haven't heard, you probably live under a rock. He will not be suspended this year by the NFL with the ongoing investigation with everything that's going on regarding Tyreek Hill. So seems like as long as he stays healthy, he's going to be here for the entire season for the Kansas City Chiefs. Mike, I know that you were doing a best ball draft. Earlier on before the show, let's remind people where you saw Tyreek Hill go in that draft once this news was announced. He went sixth overall behind the big four running backs and David Johnson. And I I was very surprised to see that. I, I think he is a top six or seven wide receiver easily regardless of format. But to take him over, you know, D-Hop and those guys, I get it. It's best ball. He's going to have those huge spike weeks where he just – Puts up ridiculous numbers, but I was a little shocked to see him go sixth overall. I did, Frank, though. I woke up this morning, and I was on the clock in another best ball draft, and I joined on Sunday, and we were only in round four. I was on the clock in round four when I woke up and saw the Tyree Kill news. So I got Tyree Kill in the end of round four. I was pretty happy about that. That is awesome. That is That is great. You know, I actually have a story that's the reverse of that. So I was on the clock earlier this morning. I can't really argue with this pick either I was uh I was in the third round I have the second pick overall and Antonio Brown was still there so I'm like all right I'll take Antonio Brown I'll double down on wide receiver I start to draft Alvin Kamara Mike Evans and Antonio Brown I love it and then we get the Tyreek Hill news and and two picks later he goes off the board at 3-4 so that person uh is obviously feeling great about getting him at that point based on what you just told me you know sixth overall really really aggressive for fantasy football drafts when it comes to Tyreek Hill, we know what kind of upside he has. I get it for best ball, but uh, in terms of consistency, I think Devontae Adams and DeAndre Hopkins might, you know, edge him out there in terms of uh, on a week-to-week basis what we can expect from these guys from a fantasy perspective. Mike, let me ask you this. You said that you have a draft that's going really, really slow. Do you have a gentleman in there by the name of Project Mayhem by any chance? Uh, If you give me a minute, I could... Pull up the draft and check. I'll let you pull that up. I really hope that this gentleman is all right because he is in my draft as well. He has timed out twice already. We are in the third round. He, it is at 3-5. And mind really? you, this is a best ball draft. You have eight hours to select. He has timed out with his first pick. He has timed out with his second pick. And he is currently 
has been on the clock for five hours. He is now under three hours picking. Honestly, I just hope that he's all right at this point because you'd have to have a really, really good excuse to use all of your time on your first two picks in a best ball draft. And now considering you know, we're in the third round and uh, he's used five hours already, Project Mayhem, if for any chance you are listening or watching this right now, I hope that you're all right. Mike, have you had <laughs> enough time to uh, pull up your draft and see if he's in it? He is not in it, but there is someone with the name Stumpf, S-T-U-M-P-F, and for a hot second, I thought maybe we were in the same draft together. Oh, that's actually, uh, that's the bizarro version of me. So I'm, uh, I'm Frank Stanfield, and uh, that's, that's Stumpf drafting against Michael Florio. I'm sure his team is terrible. You know, that's what, that's what the bizarro version of me would be, Mike, you know, because obviously I'm, I'm the best drafter of all time. That's how this works, right? I- I actually don't love his team. You are not going to like his team at all either. He started, he had won three. He started Zeke. That's obvious. He then followed it up with Cooper. Maybe he's a Cowboys fan. You're not going to like the next two picks. Leonard Fournette at 3-3 and then Calvin Ridley at 4-10. I like Calvin Ridley. I get it for best ball. 4-10 is a little bit over his ADP. Leonard Fournette, look, I can... I can make both case. I can see why people would want him. I can make the case why you would want him for fantasy football. I just think that the downside is a little bit more evident, apparent when it comes to uh, to Leonard Fournette. Mike, I want to bring this back to uh, Tyreek Hill and the and the Kansas City Chiefs real quick. Uh, bring it back to betting for a second. The Kansas City Chiefs have the second highest, second best odds to win the Super Bowl this year at eight to one. Doesn't does that shock you? Because I, I still feel like their defense is not good. That does not shock me. First of all, I think you know you're better at betting than me. You know more about it. You do it more. But uh, I do think they're definitely going to play up on the hype of the Chiefs. Like the Chiefs are this super talented offense and, and people want to root for them. People want to watch them. I think that may impact the numbers. Plus, I think Patrick Mahomes is the most talented, if not one of the top three most talented QBs in the league. And... That, that offense right there, like, I mean, they were a p- couple plays away from beating the Patriots and being in the Super Bowl last year. So it, it, it's not crazy to me. I'm guessing the biggest odds, though, are the Patriots, right? Yeah, they are the favorites right now at 7-1, to plus 700 on the FanDuel Sportsbook. I'm wondering if this Tyreek Hill, uh, this Tyreek Hill news that came out is going to affect the odds. Are, you know, are people going to start to bet on the Kansas City Chiefs more? Are we going to see this line move a little bit? I mean, I don't really think that they can surpass the New England Patriots. You know, I just, I worry about this defense. Are they going to be able to make enough plays in the postseason to to ultimately be able to win? Because that's what held them back last year, right? Like, you can blame the coin flip. And if they win the coin flip, you know, maybe we're talking about them winning the Super Bowl last year. But the fact they lost that coin flip, you kind of saw the downside of the Kansas City Chiefs is that I still have a lot of concern about their defense they couldn't stop a nosebleed last year. They obviously couldn't stop the New England Patriots in the AFC Championship. So it's going to be interesting to see if these odds change at all now with the Tyreek Hill news coming out regarding the Kansas City Chiefs. They are still the second favorite on the board to win Super Bowl 54 here in the year. I guess it's going to be 2020 at that point, but the 2019-2020 season here uh, in the NFL. Mike, I also just got this update that Aaron Boone will be suspended one game. <laughs> I mean, look, what can we say about this Aaron Boone rant from yesterday? I mean, he earned my respect. I mean, that was just that was awesome to see. I've been very critical of Aaron Boone, especially earlier on in the season, but 
look, this is now two years in a row that the Yankees are probably going to win 100 games. I don't really know how you can bash Aaron Boone anymore at this point, even if it's like Brian Cashman in the front office who are making the lineups and telling him everything to do. You love to see that passion from your manager, and I'm sure you can appreciate that just based on everything that's been going on with the New York Mets. What do you, what do you think about yesterday, uh, the savages in the box and Aaron Moon? It was the best man, best thing any manager has done, in my opinion, since uh, the Terry Collins, Noah Syndergaard outburst we got a couple years back. Like, that was awesome, too. They're on the same level to me. Like They're both just hilarious and and I I saw some people defending the umps and saying Boone shouldn't react like that, but umpires are not really held to any standards at all, and they get away with making bad calls and making games ump shows. So when they're not doing a good job, I'm okay with the manager, you know, telling them they're not doing a good job. And it sucks for me, but even I have to admit, man, like, I think Boone should get credit. The Yankees are, if not, you know, they're in the top three teams easily, I think. If them and the Astros is going to come down to the AL and the winner will get to take on the Dodgers. But, man, those three teams are just head and shoulders above everyone else, in my opinion. Just an absolutely epic rant by Aaron Boone yesterday. I have to agree that at some point, you know, I watched this rant maybe like five, ten times yesterday. At some point, I did kind of feel bad for the umpire. I think he's a rookie <laughs> ump as well, so uh, that kind of played into it. Did you see the extended version, all the stuff that Aaron Boone was also saying from, like, the dugout even before that? Like, he was he was really getting into this this rookie ump even before he went out. Like, he was tossed from the dugout, and then that's when he came out, and he's like, I'm going to get my two cents worth. And you see, you know, Brett Gardner in the background clapping his hands and stuff. Honestly, I, I would play the audio on here, but... We can't because, you know, there are there are a ton of F-bombs dropped in there. Uh, but if you haven't seen that rant yet from Aaron Boone yesterday, uh, you should because uh, it is one of the most epic ones that we've seen, you know, in perhaps ever when it comes to baseball. Obviously, you know, we don't, we don't know what they used to say back in the day with all these uh, all these guys that were, you know, kicking dirt on the plate, kicking dirt on the umps and, you know, throwing, throwing bases around and throwing – throwing home plate around and all this other crazy stuff. Uh, we've seen some crazy stuff. We've seen some crazy stuff so far. Uh, I, what do you got, Mike? I was going to say, I have one question, though. I did see the extended version. I don't have a question on what Boone was doing, but what the hell was Brett Garner doing? <laughs> Not so, when he's clapping, like the bat thing. The bat thing, right? So, like, he was hitting where they, where they hold the helmets, and then he started hitting uh, above the dugout, I guess, like, the roof over the dugout, and... Everything that I saw on it was that last time he kind of threw a, like a, 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 a tirade in the, in the dugout, it was when he threw his helmet off and it came back and smacked him in the face and uh, he had to get like six stitches in his lip. So I think he's kind of like learning from his mistakes and he's like, all right, I'm not going to throw my helmet anymore. I'm not going to try and like, you know, bash anything that can kind of like come back and fly at me and hurt me. So it's good to see that, you know, Brett Gardner, uh, the old Wiley veteran that he is, he's obviously learns from his mistakes, so, you know, he very quietly, uh, you know, starts just jamming his bat into where the helmets are, are held and starts ramming it into the roof of the dugout as well. And, and all along, if you watch the clip of all this happening, Aaron Hicks is, like, in the hole right in front of him, just, like, trying to hold back laughter because he doesn't like, – he can only that hear what's going on behind him, but he couldn't see it. It was awesome. That was low-key one of the funniest parts, too. Just him, like, like holding his face smirking. Because that's how, like, I would be even, like, someone was freaking out of, like, at work. And, like, Aaron Boone just reacted like one of us. That was, I'm mean, not Aaron Boone, uh, Aaron Hicks. That was just hilarious. And 
Frank, I think uh, I think your boy Brett Garner needs to come to to Queens real quick and teach Jeff McNeil that lesson because uh, I don't remember if it was last night or two nights ago, but McNeil got out at a big point and went into the dugout and threw his bat kind of like a spear and it like hit up the wall and came back at him. So he he needs that lesson as well. Well, you know, Jeff McNeil's still young, so I could kind of give him the benefit of the doubt. Like, hopefully he learns from that. You know, even uh, even Brett Gardner, again, he had to learn from his mistakes, throwing his helmet off the wall and it coming back and flying at him. Uh, anyone downstairs, any of the producers that we have downstairs, if you could just let me know whether or not we're going to break or not, if we're just going to blow through it. Keep going. All right, so we're going to keep going. We're going to keep going here. I'm gonna. We'll start talking about the MLB trade deadline here. Obviously, Mike, you saw up close and personal last night, uh, Madison Bumgarner going up against the Mets, and you know he looked awesome. And I think a lot of us were obviously wrong on Madison Bumgarner this year from a fantasy perspective. Do you think that Bumgarner is the top pitcher on the market? Because I don't know that there is a. I don't know that there is a legitimate ace right like someone that you feel really 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 great about acquiring at the deadline like there's a lot of really good pitchers from Bumgarner to to Trevor Bauer and Robbie Ray and Matt Boyd and Marcus Stroman and all these guys do you think Bumgarner is the top guy at the MLB trade deadlines that teams should be looking to acquire if they need a pitcher I think as long as I don't really believe that Trevor Bauer will get traded and if he is not traded I think Mad Bum is the top arm but if Trevor Bauer is available. I think Trevor Bauer is. I still think he is one of the, some of the best stuff in the league. I know the results haven't been there this year, but I think the upside is so much higher. But if he is not dealt, because the Indians are back in the race, uh, I think it, it is Mad Bum. Uh, no one was more was wronger on Mad Bum than I was this year, and I, I will own that. Uh, the velocity came back on his pitches. The fastball still getting hit a lot. At least coming into yesterday's start, it was. His cutter has been really effective this year, though. Uh, I do think the move away from San Fran will hurt him a bit. But remember, Mad Bum has this reputation, and rightfully so, as like one of the greatest postseason performers ever. And Trevor Bauer doesn't have that going for him. We know Trevor Bauer. He, he did struggle at times in the playoffs in recent years. So I do think Mad Bum... Uh, because I know for we know I think we know for a fact he is 100% available. I think he will be the biggest pitching fish available, especially for a contending team. Because you have to feel pretty good about him going into the playoffs. Mike, what do you think about this though? With everything that the San Francisco Giants are doing right now, they're one of the hottest teams in the league. They're two and a half games out of the wild card. I mean, you can kind of make the argument that they're right in the thick of things. Like it is. Should that be their mindset now? The fact that as hot as they are, that they shouldn't be selling off their pieces? I know that, you know, I've seen a lot of prospect analysts talk about how the Giants have, the Giants prospects have actually performed really, really well this year, and they're actually higher on this Giants farm system than previously thought. So, look, all you have to do is make it to the postseason, and then anything can happen. The fact that the Giants are as hot as they are, they're only two and a half games out. Should they reconsider being sellers at the deadline? I thought they might because the Giants have a reputation of going for it. And the Giants kind of put themselves in this terrible position by trying to be aggressive and keep going and acquiring really bad contracts like Longoria. I know they, they had McCutcheon at one point. You know, they, they brought in a lot of veterans with these bigger contracts and it, it didn't really work out for them. I don't think they should reconsider it. I think you trade Mad Bowman and you hope that you know, the guys you have continue to perform, but realistically, I think they know that even if they were to sneak in as a second wild card, and, and even if they win that game behind Mad Bum, 
then we're talking about having to win a five-game series against the Dodgers, and I think they even realistically know that they cannot compete with that. And they are, I think, even though they're playing very well, I think they're one of the least talented teams in the NL, and I don't think they would be a serious threat if they made it. But So that being said, even as of yesterday, I read reports that they were looking to sell, and it made sense to me. What I think they did do last night, I think they uh, they put the final nail in the Mets' coffins and made them sellers as well. Uh, but I, I do think the Giants should continue to sell, especially Will Smith and Mad Bum, because it it should be your prospects playing better than, than expected and getting production out of these younger guys. I think you trade your big pieces, bring in even more higher-end talent, and you hope to escalate this rebuild rather than hope to sneak in as a second wild card this year. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I actually said that yesterday, too. Even if you sneak into the wild card, you're going to end up facing, what, Max Scherzer in a one-game playoff? And then if you get past him, you're going to end up playing the Los Angeles Dodgers. So I think the Giants have to be realistic with themselves here. And everything that I've said also falls in line with that they're going to be sellers. I think that they can get you know a decent haul back if they... If they trade away all of their useful relievers outside of, like, Mark Melanson, they probably won't be able to get rid of that contract or however much is left on that contract. But if they get rid of Madison Bumgarner and Will Smith and potentially Tony Watson and Sam Dyson and all these guys, they should be able to get a a pretty good haul and potentially turn this around sooner rather than later when it comes to the Giants. Because if you look at their major league roster right now, who are they building around for the future? I mean, I think it's been a lot of smoke and mirrors if you look at, you know, the guys that have been performing well for them with Alex Dickerson and Austin Slater, you know, not related to Heat Slater, um, uh, and uh, <laughs> and Brandon Belt and Buster Posey and, and Brandon Crawford's been awesome over the past couple of weeks. I agree with you, Mike. I, I think that um, I think that they should continue to be sellers and, you know, maybe acquire some MLB-ready prospects, whether it's a, a Clint Frazier with the Yankees or, you know, maybe a... Uh, Maybe a Kyle Tucker with the uh, with the Houston Astros, something like that. I think that makes a lot of sense for the San Francisco Giants. Uh, Mike mentioned the New York Mets. They now fall to five games out of the second wild card spot. I talked about this a lot recently as well. When it comes to the the National League wild card, the only team that is, I guess, mathematically out of it is the Miami Marlins, who are thirteen games out. Everyone else is within five games of that second wild card spot, including the New York Mets and the Cincinnati Reds. Mike, we only have a minute left. Uh, What do you expect the Mets to do here? Do you think that they're just kind of selling away everyone not named DeGrom, Pete Alonso, and Syndergaard? I think, no, I actually think the opposite. I think they're going to sell Wheeler. I think they'll sell pieces that are not going to be here. Like, they'll try to trade away Todd Frazier, guys who aren't guaranteed to be here in 2020. I do think, though, they look at it like, hey, we have a lot of money invested. We have a terrible farm system. We have... Players like McNeil and and who are playing above what the Mets had expected them to do when they got the call last year and stuff. So I think the Mets are going to look to still try to compete next year. So I think they're going to do a little bit of selling. But I do think the loss last night firmly puts them in the sellers category. That's Michael Florio. We'll hear more from him when we get back. We're going to put a Yankee hat on Michael Florio, put him in Brian Cashman's shoes, and see what he thinks the Yankees should do at the deadline. It's Mike Florio, Frank Sample here on the BFS on the Fantasy Sports Network. Welcome back to the BFFs here on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. TGIF. Drink carefully tonight. 
Frank Stanfield joined by Michael Florio. No Greg Sussman. Doing a little NLB trade deadline preview here on the show. And before the break, I mentioned that I was going to put Mike in Brian Cashman's shoes. Now, these are some pretty big shoes to fill, Mike. And I know that uh, you used to be a Yankee fan, so this isn't all that hard for you, right? No, I hate the Yankees. They are my, <laughs> least, they are my least favorite team in sports, even more than the Patriots. Mike, Mike, don't make me do it. You're gonna, are you going to make me do this, Mike? Mike, are you going to make me do this? I guess so. True story. Back in high school, Michael Florio had a Yankees folder. This is a true story. I believe it was an Alfonso Soriano folder. Is that correct, Mike? Probably. I, uh, I, my brother was a Yankees fan when I was, my whole family was Met fans except for my brother. So I liked both because, you know, I used to watch games with my brother and Alfonso Soriano is still probably my favorite player of all time, at least favorite non-Met of all time. And I was a big Yankee fan with him. And then after they traded him for A-Rod, uh, that next year I tried to keep rooting for them. And then, uh, it just all fell off after that. So there you go. You heard the truth. It finally came out of the bag. Michael Florio used to love the Yankees. Eh, maybe not love, but uh, he did love <laughs> Alfonso Soriano. Um, he was one of those, you know, I'll root for both both New York teams. And then and then he decided to go down the Mets path, which I'm sorry for, Mike. But look, what do you got? Probably the worst decision I've ever made in life. <laughs> I mean, really. You can go down two roads, the Mets or the Yankees. Mike chose the Mets. It's- <laughs> it's a it's a bad decision. Like I will tell people now, if you are trying to get into baseball, pick any team other than the Mets. Like that's just good advice. And here's what we'll say. You know, we could say this about both the Mets and the Knicks. You know, I've been a little bit more fortunate in my life. Obviously, I like the Yankees, so I have you know seen multiple championships. I'm also a Jets and a Knicks fan, so that does not work out. Mike full on hates himself when it comes to the root, the teams that he roots for because he's got the Mets, he's got the Knicks, he's got the Buffalo Bills. It does not get much worse than that. So look Mike, I'm sorry. Um I I know that everyone wants to stick with their team, but I think if there were any two sports franchises that you can make the case for getting off of being a fan, it is the Knicks and it is the Mets just based on Everything they have done from an ownership perspective over the past decade or two, I think, and you know, normally I wouldn't say this, you're supposed to stick by your team. I understand that. You don't want to be a front runner. You don't want to, you know, run away from your team when, you know, things are going wrong. But those two franchises, Mike, I think that you can actually make the argument for. Yeah, I 100% agree. The Mets are never going to be good as long as the Wilpons own them, at least not consistently good. They'll have a year every decade where they almost win it all and, and something goes terribly wrong for them. But that's really their history since the 80s, like one really good year. And then, I mean, even if you go back to the 60s, they had 69. In the 70s, 73. In the 80s, 86. The 90s, I guess you could say it was more 2000, but then 06 and 2015. That's six good seasons in their franchise that I counted. That That's... All you need to know. Yeah, that's that's not a lot. But as I mentioned, Mike, we're gonna put you uh, we're gonna put you in charge of the Yankees. If you were the Yankees, which starting pitcher on this market would you be most aggressive on? And I, I guess, look, it's a loaded question because obviously different players are going to require you know different amounts of uh, of return. 
But, you know, the Yankees are in a position where they have Clint Frazier, who is an MLB-ready prospect. He showed earlier on in the season what he can do at the major league level. They have Esteban Florial, who, you know, does have upside as an outfielder. He is, you know, their top-hitting prospect outside of Frazier. And then they, they now have the... Uh, the, the ascension of Devi Garcia, who everyone is excited about. He's been promoted to AAA. So given that they have those three prospects, I feel like they are in a position to go out and get pretty much anybody. I think Syndergaard would be included in that if they were able to pry him away from the Mets. I understand he still has like two and a half years of control. So he would take a big package. But in terms of... Pause. I realized I just said big package, by the way. But uh, <laughs> I didn't catch it. When it comes to, uh, when it comes to the Yankees... There's Stroman, there's Bumgarner, there's Syndergaard. They talked about Robbie Ray. They talk about Matt uh, Matt Boyd as well. You know, which one of those pitchers do you think makes the most sense that the Yankees should go out and try and get? If they're giving up Clint Frazier, which I think they would have to for any of those guys, I would try to get a pitcher who's under more team control than this just next the, the rest of this year, like a Mad Bum. But to be honest, I feel I don't think Trevor Bauer is traded. The Indians are the first wild card right now in the AL. They're also only four games back of the Twins. I think they're going to continue to try to go for it. Jose Ramirez is turning it around. Their offense has been playing better. So I'm taking him off the table. I also realistically don't think the Mets would trade Noah Syndergaard to the Yankees. Uh, I don't think they're going to trade him at all this deadline because I think that's a – a decision that, you know, you don't make in a, oh, we're out of it this year, let's sell them. And I think they're going to, if they were to trade him, it would happen in the offseason. Uh, and I don't think it's going to be to the Yankees, unfortunately, for, for you know, Yankee fans. But so because of that, I think it's Madbum. I think he has the playoff experience. Uh, he's a big lefty, which I think the, that helps the Yankees. You have Tanaka, Paxton, and I think right now their third would be Herman. But you also got... Uh, Strowman, who's going to be in the mix, not Strowman, uh, Severino, who's going to be in the mix. So that's a lot of righties. I think you want to get another lefty there, which similar to what I think their plans were with J.A. Happ. Uh, I don't think they want to have Happ or CC start a playoff game, ideally. So I think I think Madbone, with his postseason success and the fact that you won't have to give up a huge haul to get him, it might just like Clint Frazier for him might be enough straight up. So I think uh, I think he is the route they should look to go in. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do because they've already come out and said, now, just because they say something doesn't mean that they're going to stick by it, but there have been reports that said that they will not move Clint Frazier for a rental in terms of starting pitchers. So it'll be interesting to see if they if that holds true. Now, maybe if, if they could get Will Smith and Madison Bumgarner from the Giants for, you know, Clint Frazier and maybe another piece, like that's... That's something that I could see happening. You know, I've uh, I've seen reports of, like, they're interested in Marcus Stroman and Ken Giles, so maybe that's something that they're trying to do where they can get a starting pitcher and a really good reliever in return as well, even though they already have, like, an awesome bullpen in, like, Adam Adovino and Tommy Canley and Zach Britton and Aroldis Chapman. Uh, but I guess you can never have too many relievers, especially when it comes to uh, trying to make a deep postseason run. Mike, you kind of hit on it I, when it comes. Oh, I was going to say, I yep. did see on Twitter last night, the Yankees apparently heavily were scouting the game between Bumgarner and Syndergaard. And I read, too, that it could be because they were also there scouting the Giants relievers. So a trade of like a Will Smith and a Mad Bum may very well make sense. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, but overall, you don't think something between the Yankees and Mets happens, like maybe outside of Zach Wheeler, which... Of course, in Mets fashion, Zach Wheeler gets hurt right when they're getting ready to try and trade him, which affects his trade value. But, you know, I, I thought, you know, if the Yankees, while Andujar is shelved for the season, if they included, like, Andujar and Clint Frazier, like, I think that would probably be enough to get Syndergaard away from the Mets. 
I would do that if I was the Mets. Uh, I but I I find it hard to believe that they're going to again like it's Brody's first year to trade two and a half years of Noah Syndergaard across town to the Yankees in the middle of a season. That's a really big move that you can't come back from. And I understand he hasn't been afraid to make big moves trading your top prospect for a very bad Robinson Cano and a not as elite Edwin Diaz hasn't really worked out for him. But I would be I wouldn't be surprised if he traded Wheeler there because Brody doesn't seem like the type of guy to me who wouldn't take the best offer. But I would be surprised if he was willing to see Noah Syndergaard two and a half years, especially because he'd probably be pitching in a World Series in one of those two and a half years. And the Yankees would probably help him live up to his full potential, which he, the Mets have not been able to do. All right, enough Yankees and Mets talk. This is in <laughs> New York Sports Radio. It's the Fantasy Sports Network. So we're going to get back to talking about all these other teams as well. You know, Mike, I look at the I look at the Minnesota Twins, right? And you know, this their lead in the AL Central has plummeted. You mentioned it as well. They had, you know, a double-digit game lead something like a month or two months ago and the Cleveland Indians are coming around ro- along with your guy Jose Ramirez, but you know, Corey Kluber is expected to be back hopefully sometime in August. I think that you know, what they're doing right now it makes a lot of sense, just based on the pitching that they have, as awesome as Shane Bieber has pitched. You know, Trevor Bauer has pitched well. Uh, we'll see what happens with, like, Carrasco. I mean, there hasn't really been much on him. Uh, but, you know, if you have Kluber, Shane Bieber, and Bauer, I mean, that's a pretty good threesome that you can put up against right. other teams in the postseason. Yeah, what do you got, Mike? You Even just those three, right? You left out Clevenger. Uh, there's Carrasco who's up in the mix, like we said, and Danny Salazar might be back. So like, I think if the Indians get in, they are just as dangerous as any other team because of that pitching. But you know, who doesn't have pitching really in that division is the Minnesota twins. So I think that they're probably going to be in the mix for some of these guys as well. I just, I don't know that there is enough of a difference maker for the Minnesota twins. Admittedly, I love their lineup coming into the season, but I mean, are you really going to trust Jose Barrios, Jake Odorizzi, and you know Kyle Gibson in in a series when it comes to uh, the postseason for the Minnesota Twins. So uh, I think they're probably in the mix there as well. It wouldn't surprise me if Madison Bumgarner ended up with the Minnesota Twins. Yeah, they they are definitely going to be in the mix, and I think they are a team that would make sense for a hey, let's tr- do a Mad Bum and Will Smith trade. I I actually I said on my podcast yesterday I'm very afraid of if I own Taylor Rogers right now of him getting replaced because. I not only could I see the Twins going out and acquiring a starter, as excited as I am to see Jake Odorizzi pitch in the playoffs, I do agree with your point. I think they need to add another starter that they can rely on. And uh, I think they're going to try to add to that bullpen as well. They're one of these teams that has a lot of very solid relievers, but I don't know if they have a guy that you trust to nail a game home in the playoffs yet. So I could see them going out and trying to acquire a reliever as well. Mike, I mentioned yesterday on the show that I love betting on the Washington Nationals right now to win the NL East just because of the odds that you're getting right now. I I understand that they are, I believe it's six games out of the National League East as of right now, but they made up. They cut this in half. They were 12 games out like a month and a half ago. So who's to say that over this next month and a half, they can't cut that again. You know, they, they can't, you know, close that gap between themselves and the Atlanta Braves. We're going to talk a little bit more about the Nationals and what they need to do at the deadline, if anything. Maybe they just need to get healthy and have those pitchers ready to go. Mike Florio, Frank Stample here on the BFS, the Fantasy Sports Network. (laughs) 
Welcome back to the BFFs here on a Friday. Frank Stanfield joined by Michael Florio. MLB trade dead deadline preview here, talking about which teams we expect to make moves and be aggressive at the trade deadline. I left off with the Washington Nationals. Mike, the Washington Nationals right now are plus 550 to win the NL East, and that number keeps dropping because they are getting closer and closer. They are just six games out. I believe it was like a month and a half ago, maybe two months, that they were like 12, 13 games out of the National League East, and they've cut that in half. So I'm looking at this and saying to myself, why can't they do that again? You know, I, I the, the Braves are probably going to be aggressive at the deadline as well, but I'm looking at the Nationals pitching, and I think that their hitting is starting to heat up now as well. What is the biggest weakness right now for the Washington Nationals? Because I think that their starting pitching staff is really good. I think that their lineup is really good. It's probably the back end of the bullpen. Would you agree? What else do you see with the Washington Nationals? So, Frank, I can't hear you. Uh, I don't know why the audio is not working, but I read your lips and you said Washington Nationals. Uh, so I'm going to guess we're going to talk about what they should do before the deadline. And, I mean, I think it's a very obvious answer. I think they need to acquire bullpen pieces and more than one. I think they had their back end closer in a Sean Doolittle, but the rest of these guys, I mean, their ERA this year, their bullpen ERA is 597, only worse by uh, their, you know, inner city or however you want to call them neighbors, the Baltimore Orioles, their ex-fit for the bullpens over five. It is atrociously bad. It's the reason why they were so far back in the race just a couple weeks ago. And I know they've been getting better results as of late, but you already have a starting pitching staff that can compete with anyone. You have a very deep lineup, although I'm sad that Howie Kendrick loses playing time. But other than that, they need to add pieces to this bullpen and go for it now while they still have Anthony Rendon and have these young guys before they have to pay them because pretty soon, the Nats are going to have to start paying all these guys, and that's when you know teams fall apart. So this may be one of the Nationals' best chances to actually win a World Series with this core, and they need to capitalize on it right now. Yeah, I agree 100%. Good job by Mike Florio there reading my lips. Um, look, uh, guys downstairs, if uh, can you reconnect Mike on Skype just so we can try and figure out uh, whether or not he's hearing me or not? Uh, so we can figure that out and make sure we have things good to go here because I don't want him to have to have to try and read my lips for the rest of the show here. Uh, that wouldn't work out very well for everything that we're trying to do. So let's let's hang up on Mike and uh, let's re let's reconnect here with Mike Florio and then we'll continue talking about the MLB trade deadline and what we expect to happen. I'm looking at the American League East right now and the Yankees. They have a six game lead over the uh, the Tampa Bay Rays. Actually, I believe that went up last night. Uh, it went up yesterday. Uh, no, six-game lead over the Tampa Bay Rays. The Boston Red Sox are nine and a half games out. Uh, we saw the Red Sox trade for Andrew Kashner. Um, I still expect them to try and make another move. We've seen the Boston Red Sox linked to Zach Wheeler as well. And I think that they need some more pitching for whatever reason. Um, whatever Whatever's going on with the Boston Red Sox this year, whether it's a World Series hangover or whatever it is, they haven't looked like themselves. Mookie Betts hasn't been himself. Uh, overall, I feel like the lineup has underwhelmed at times this year. Um, and, you know, Chris Sale wasn't himself earlier on, but then obviously yesterday what he does with the 12 strikeouts, that was great to see for uh, for the Boston Red Sox. But I think that there are players here at the deadline, obviously. you gotta, you got to keep in mind uh, the luxury tax. I think that they want to... They want to stay below that right now. So I don't know that they're going to take on anyone who has big salary. That's probably why they make that Andrew Kashner move. They're trying to just make like these savvy moves. Uh, but it wouldn't surprise me if the Boston Red Sox try and make a, mu a few moves here at the deadline. 
as of today, they sit three games out of the second wild card spot with the Tampa Bay Rays leading it and the Cleveland Indians and Oakland A's tied for the second wild card spot. But obviously the Boston Red Sox are right in the thick of things going on there in the American League. So it wouldn't surprise me if they're if they're out here trying to make some moves at the deadline as well. We've talked about the Indians and the Minnesota Twins already regarding the American League Central. The Cleveland Indians have an awesome pitching staff. We're starting to see their their offense come around as well. Lindor has been great once he returned from injury. Jose Ramirez over the past month is batting over 300. Oscar Mercado has gone through a has gone through, you know, some ups and downs here in his rookie season. But he's come around lately as well. So I think as we continue to see this offense take off for the Cleveland Indians, uh, that we're going to see them obviously um, continue to ascend in the AL Central. Um, you know, that, that depends on what the Minnesota Twins do, obviously. I think that they're going to be in the market for someone in the back end of uh, that bullpen, someone with a little bit more closing experience. And then I think that they need more starting pitching, as I've mentioned. I don't know that Jose Barrios... And uh, and Jake Odorizzi and Kyle Gibson is enough to make that run deep into the postseason for the Minnesota Twins. And the rest of everything else there, the Chicago White Sox, I don't really know that they have much to offer. Like, I'm sure Alex Colomay is going to be on the market. The Kansas City Royals, they've already traded Terrence Gore to the New York Yankees, uh, but they've already... They've come out and said that they're going to be sellers as well, trying to trying to shop Billy Hamilton, see if they could get anything for him. And then the same thing for uh, Ian Kennedy. Mr. Kennedy, the closer of the Kansas City Royals. I think that um, he could land somewhere else as well. You know, from a fantasy perspective, if Ian Kennedy is traded, he's not going to be the closer wherever he goes. He's probably going to end up pit- pitching in a setup role, the seventh inning, eighth inning. If he gets traded, he's not going to end up being the closer anymore for the Kansas City Royals. So keep that in mind. They're also shopping uh, Jake Diekman. Shane Green, you know, Shane Green with the Detroit Tigers. You want to talk about sellers just going through the rest of this AL Central here. I think Shane Green, you know, I saw on uh, on MLB Trade Rumors that the the Dodgers could be in the mix for Shane Green, much like Ian Kennedy. From a fantasy perspective, if Shane Green is traded away from the Detroit Tigers, he's going to go to a team where... I'm not so sure he's going to be the closer anymore. He's had a phenomenal season. He's been one of the best late-round steals for fantasy purposes this year. But if Shane Green is moved, he's more than likely not the closer on the respective team that he is headed to. You know, Maybe if he ends up in Minnesota, he would still be the closer there. But if he goes to the Dodgers, if he goes to a team like the Yankees, let's just say, or or the uh, the Houston Astros, he's not going to be the closer for those teams. So keep that in mind. Uh, and if he is traded, I think Joe Jimenez is probably the next man up there from a fantasy baseball perspective. Just going up and down the, the rest of the standings here in the MLB and trying to decipher who is going to be a buyer and who is going to be a seller. The Houston Astros, as of right now, are the second favorite to come out of the American League. I think there's some Yankee bias when it comes to that. I would still have the Houston Astros, all things considered, as the favorite in the American League just based on their pitching staff. Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole. The Yankees lineup, you know, it might be better than the Astros. Is it? I don't know. I mean, Jordan Alvarez is up for them now, and he's been awesome. They still have George Springer. They have Jose Altuve. Carlos Correa is going to be back at some point. Alex Bregman. I think it's a toss-up between the Yankees and the Astros in terms of whose lineup is better. 
But there's no doubting in my mind that the Houston Astros pitching staff right now, at least at the top, Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander, is better than the New York Yankees. Masahiro Tanaka has pitched very, very well in the postseason. James Paxton, he hasn't been there. That's not his fault. Uh, but, you know, can he stay healthy? I still kind of think that this knee injury is affecting James Paxton. That's why the Yankees are going to go out and make a move. But we're talking about the Houston Astros right now. You know, maybe they're in the mix for a third pitcher there. I don't know that they necessarily need it, but, you know, I think they want to get back to the World Series after losing to the Red Sox last year in the postseason. So maybe they could go out and make a splash with a uh, with a Madison Bumgarner or a Marcus Stroman or maybe even a Zach Wheeler, right? Like, if Zach Wheeler ended up with the Houston Astros, they would be able to figure out how to get the most out of out of Zach Wheeler. We've seen that in the past with all these guys. You know, Garrett Cole was in Pittsburgh, and, you know, given their heavy fastball mentality, the Pittsburgh Pirates, they kind of ruined Garrett Cole. Goes over to Houston, starts throwing more breaking pitches, adds a little bit more velocity to that fastball. What do you know? Garrett Cole turns into one of the best pitchers in the league. Same thing with Justin Verlander. Justin Verlander had a few renaissance seasons with the Detroit Tigers. Once he went to the Houston Astros, he's basically been maybe the best pitcher over the past two seasons since he's joined the Houston Astros. So I think that they need a third pitcher. They have, you know, Wade Miley, but, eh, you know, it's Wade Miley. You know, they probably want a better third pitcher in there. So I think the Houston Astros are going to be in the mix for a third starting pitcher in their rotation for the postseason, whether it's Bumgarner, whether it's Stroman, uh, whether it's a, uh, a Zach Wheeler or uh, or someone like that. I've seen them linked to Robbie Ray and Matt Boyd. Those are really the names that I've seen uh, thrown around most as the, the pitchers available here. As the trade deadline approaches, let's not forget the trade deadline is July 31st, so over the next 12 days we're probably going to see a lot of moves being made. The rest of the AL West, uh, the Oakland A's are four and a half games out. I mentioned that they're tied for the second wild card spot. Obviously, you know, they need pitching. They went out and made a move for Homer Bailey. Um, I think A.J. Puck is going to... He's going to be with the big league roster, especially once rosters expand in September to the 40-man roster. A.J. Puck is one of their top pitching prospects. He actually had to get Tommy John, and he's going through uh, rehab right now. I don't know that he's going to be stretched out enough to make a difference as a starter this year, but he could be used in a multi-inning reliever type role for the Oakland A's. They probably want to get another starting pitcher. Do they have enough ammunition to you know, make that happen? Do they want to kind of... Uh, deplete their, their farm system in, in order to get another pitcher. I don't know that the, the Oakland A's are going to do that. The, the Texas Rangers, they've kind of fallen off a little bit here over the past couple of weeks. I still think, think that it's been a phenomenal job done by Chris Woodward here in his first season as the Texas Rangers manager. They are nine and a half games behind the Houston Astros. They are five games out of that second wild card spot. But they have some pieces. You know, if they decide that they want to... Be sellers at the deadline. I don't know that I would blame them because I think that they also want to kind of replenish that farm system. And Mike Miner, as well as he have pit, has pitched this year, all of the numbers are great. The underlying numbers for Mike Miner, the XFIP, the Sierra, that skill interactive ERA, those are ERA indicators that say that Mike Miner is going to regress at some point. So, you know, if they wanted to turn around and flip Mike Miner at the deadline or even an Andrew Kashner who's just pitched out of his mind, uh, I wouldn't blame 
the Texas Rangers for wanting to do so. So keep your eyes peeled for what the Texas Rangers do and whether or not they do ultimately sell some of these pieces towards the trade deadline. The National League East, I've already told you guys how I feel about the Washington Nationals. I love betting on them right now to win the NL East. It just wouldn't surprise me if they can make up these six and a half games here behind the Atlanta Braves. I like the Atlanta Braves. like the lineup that they have a lot. Freddie Freeman and Ronald Acuna there, and Josh Donaldson has uh, revitalized himself, able to stay healthy this year. I don't know that the Atlanta Braves have enough pitching. That's probably going to be another team that's in the mix for some pitching here at the deadline. But if you're just turn, uh, talking about betting value right now, the Washington Nationals, it sucks because you could have got them at much better value before, and now that's dropped all the way down to plus 550. It wouldn't surprise me again if the Nationals win the NL East. The Philadelphia Phillies, again, like a lot of teams in baseball, they have a really, really good lineup, but they just don't have enough pitching. So maybe they're in the mix here. They're eight and a half games out of the NL East. They're, uh, they're a half a game behind uh, in the wild card. So they can make some noise based on the lineup that they have. And, you know, awesome game the other day between them and the Los Angeles Dodgers. That could be a potential preview of a playoff series that we see. Uh, Hector Neris has done a good job in the back end of the bullpen. The NL Central, completely wide open still between the Cubs, the Brewers, and the Cardinals. I think all those teams will be active at the deadline as well. I want to thank Eric Young for coming on the show. I want to thank Michael Florio. Sorry for the technical difficulties, everybody. Greg Sussman will be back on Monday. I am Frank Stanfield. Thank you so much for watching. We'll be back on Monday, we hope.